Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss and reflect on faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social issues. We want to engage ideas on what it means to be a free human being in the pursuit of human flourishing. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Sunday, December 5th, Humanity Matters. I am your host, Dr. Philip Fletcher, and this is the place where we discuss faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social issues. We want to engage with ideas on what it means to be a free human being and what it means to flourish wherever you live in this great country of America or Across the world. And so thank you for joining uh, me. So as always, as we get started, hey, connect with me on any of the social media outlets. That includes Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or on the World Wide Web, philipfletcher.org. Hey, and do me a favor. When you go over to the website, philipfletcher.org, you scroll down the landing page, and you'll see an opportunity for you to put in your name and email. And that'll give you an opportunity to connect as you'll get a weekly uh, email called The Daily Personalist Living and Leave, Leading. And this is an opportunity to hear some different thoughts, something to meditate on for the week, something to journal about, something that gets you thinking on the ideas of freedom and human dignity and affirming the dignity and worth that exists in every human being. So you will hear a lot about that. So once again, connect with me on any of the social media outlets. That would be awesome. Awesome. As always, if you can also connect and support uh, the work that is going on here by going over to Patreon. So Patreon is your opportunity to uh, hear some things you're just not going to hear on Facebook or on YouTube or any of these other outlets more personal. And for as little as five bucks, you can become a sponsor. Ten bucks, get some unique audio content, and then uh, 15 bucks, some decent video content. Uh, really reflecting on some of the other things that are going on in our society. And so connect with me over there as well. Again, that's over on Patreon, and I would appreciate the support. So again, Mondays, Humanity Matters podcast that comes out on Mondays. That is Daily Personalist Living and Leading. Uh, and then on Wednesdays and Fridays, you can get um, just some episodes as we dig into what is going on in uh, our local area. I'm coming from Conway, Arkansas, but also looking at some news across the state of Arkansas, uh, as well as the nation, and then also dig into a specific to topic. And we're going to be looking at hyper-organization. That's what we'll be talking about on today. So to get things rolling here in the state of Arkansas, all right? So, and this is coming from uh, our major newspaper in the state of Arkansas. It's called the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And uh, this was published on uh, today by Michael Wickline, one of the journalists. And the headline reads, Arkansas lawmakers, I chance to push <clears throat> their agendas in special session starting Tuesday on income tax cuts. So, special session. All right, and this is supposed to start Tuesday. So, Michael Wickline, he reports, in the special session starting at 10 a.m. Tuesday, the Arkansas General Assembly, all right, will consider a bill that potentially represents the largest tax cut in the state's history. All right, so what would a tax cut supposed to mean is that money is kept in the pockets of everyday Arkansans 
and less money is going to fund the state government of Arkansas. Okay. All right. Okay. Who doesn't want more money in their pockets, regardless of their income situation, right? Okay. Good. So, Mr. Wickline continues to write, and again, this is from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette online, all right, quoting, but the wild card is how long the special session will last. Under Article 6, Section 19 of the Arkansas Constitution, the governor, our governor is Asa Hutchinson, he's in his last term, uh, sets the agenda for the special session when he issues the call for lawmakers to convene. Once they finish that business, a two-thirds vote of the 100-member House of Representatives and the 35-member Senate allows them to remain in session for up to 15 days to consider bills not in the call. All right, so several lawmakers said they plan to push to extend the special session to consider their bills. All right, what those include. So let's look at this. Mr. Wickline goes on to say, the bills include measures that would couple a Texas-style civil cause of action with Arkansas's ban on abortion except to save the life of the mother and that would and another bill that would ban the teaching of critical race theory in public schools. All right, we'll get to the abortion in a few minutes. All right, so critical race theory. This was tried when they was in session last earlier this year. All right, I uh, transparency went down there and testified um, I'm not for it, not against it. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding regarding critical race theory. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out was critical race theory is what is taught, what is analyzed, researched at the university level. But what you see occurring in many of the school districts across America, what is transpiring in a lot of the businesses and nonprofit organizations is actually the praxis, right? Is the application of that. So there is not going to be called critical race theory in like the public school system or nonprofits or businesses. What you see is the, the products of that. If you want to engage with the actual critical race theory, um, Kimberly Crenshaw, and uh, others, those names escape me right now, um, and I did a whole video on it, all right? Then that's when means you have to get into the, um, the academic literature, okay? Um, so, yeah, but they're taking that up again, again. And my question is, to the Republicans, instead of battling this whole critical race theory, why not push more for school choice, vouchers, you know, returning money to parents so that they could, you know, afford to go to a private school or to do homeschooling or to educate their kid however they see fit, right? Why still hold on to the public school system approach? You run into these issues, all right? So something to think about. So Mr. Wickline continues to go on and say regarding the Arkansas legislative session, uh, so far this year, the legislature already has met in a 117-day regular session and a three-day special session. All right. He goes on to talk about the income tax. So let's go here. The proposed income tax cut would be the largest in state history because there has never been a bill enacted that provides almost $500 million in annual tax relief when fully implemented, said Scott Harden a spokesman for the State Department of Finance and Administration. Proponents of the income tax legislation said the measure will benefit all taxpayers and make the ta state's tax structure more competitive against other southern states. Now, for instance, the border states, they have no income tax, right? So our border states are Texas, Louisiana, uh, Oklahoma, Tennessee. Arkansas has income taxes, all right? Arkansas is one of the poorer states. We got high taxes, right? We're coming out of this whole pandemic thing. People are trying to figure out, you know, how to spend their money. We've got inflation happening. So, okay, tax cut. Again, you're reducing the spending power of the government and the spending power of everyday citizens should go up, all right? Now, however, those individuals choose to spend their money, that's on them, all right? 
going on, Mr. Wickline? Again, he is reporting on the special session that's supposed to take place this coming Tuesday, starting at 10 a.m., all right? He goes on to say, proponents uh, of the income tax legislation said the measure would benefit all taxpayers. Two of Arkansas's surrounding states, Texas and Tennessee, don't have individual income taxes. Like I said, opponents said the chief beneficiaries of the cut, all right, so here's the opponents, all right, so more than likely, the other individuals on the other side of the aisle, uh, those in the Democratic Party who would prefer to have more money go into state government, all right, uh, said the chief beneficiaries of the cut, here it comes, would be the upper income people and the state would be better off investing the money by providing needed services. All right. Now, one of the things you got to look at is how much money is spent in administrative when money is taken out of Arkansas citizens' pockets because they're the ones that earn the money. The state doesn't earn any money. That money is then paid in taxes, all right, to the state. How much of that money goes to administrative how much if it goes to salaries, things like that. And then how much of it actually goes to services directly impacting individuals, right? So you've got to anticipate one side saying, hey, it's going to a tax cut benefits all taking money away from the government. And one side is going to say, no, it's only going to benefit rich people. Okay. Alyssa Hutchinson says this from Mr. Wickline. He's reporting, quote, this bill puts us in a competitive position with other states. Close quote. Governor Asa Hutchinson said the state's top individual income uh, tax rate is now 5.9%. All right. He goes on to say, I've pushed, this is Asa Hutchinson, I've pushed to try to get down to 5% and it looks like we're going to be able to get down to 4.9%. The Republican governor said, all right, so they're trying to drop it a whole percent, one percentage point. Uh, Senator Jonathan Dismang, who's a Republican from Searcy, uh, represents Searcy, that's a county, and Representative Jonathan Maddox, rep Republican of MENA, will sponsor identical bills in their chambers. All right, so one side's coming from the Senate, one side's coming from the House. All right, the income tax cut proposal has wide support with most Republican lawmakers and at least one Democrat co-sponsoring the bill. Oh, look at that, bipartisan support. That's what that's called, right? The House has 78 Republicans, 22 Democrats, while the Senate has 26 Republicans, seven Democrats, and an independent. There's a vacant seat because of the resignation of Senator Lance Eads of Springdale. All right? So you can read the rest of the article that's available at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. All right, again, the title was Arkansas Lawmakers I Chance to push their agendas in special sessions starting Tuesday on income tax cuts. Again, who's not for getting more of their money, right? And one of the things I would say, right, as you're getting more money back, okay, that then gives you an opportunity to support voluntary organizations, nonprofits who are seeking to meet these needs that are talked about. And so instead of those dollars going to state government, how about those dollars remain in these particular counties, these particular cities, okay? And then those individuals can determine how to address those specific needs as it relates to their specific locales. Something to think about. Something to think about. Something to think about. So, moving on to national news. Now, if you've been paying attention, the Supreme Court has an abortion case in front of them. All right? Mississippi has gone and done a thing. Mississippi. State of Mississippi has gone and done a thing. So, this is coming from Ground News. Okay? Now, this Ground News is where I get my news Again, I would highly encourage you to go check them out. It's ground.news, okay? And what they do is they pull together all the news sites from the left, from the middle, from the right, 
in your particular area, across the nation, across the world, and you are able to see, if you will, a better picture of how the accident happened. That's why I like to describe it, right? Imagine you stand, four people standing on a corner, they see an accident, and you get everybody's perspective, right? You're just not getting a perspective from the west side or from the east side or just a perspective from the north or the south side. You're getting all four perspectives. That's why I like ground.news. Hey, I'm not getting paid to say that, but this is where I get my news. And they assign like a grade, like blind spot grade, okay? So this is coming from the Washington AP. Quote, uh, both or the subheadline, both sides are telling the Supreme Court there's no middle ground in Wednesday's showdown over abortion. There's no middle ground. So what that means is you've got people camped out on both sides, right? It's like a battlefield. And individuals are not moving, all right? The justices can either reaffirm the constitutional right to an abortion, which is actually nowhere in the Constitution, all right? But okay. Or wipe it away altogether. All right. So let us continue on. Let me bring up this article here. Give me one second. So I can choose left, center, right as far as reading uh, from a news source. So let us look at a news source from the left. All right. So this is coming from uh, AOL. Dot com. All right. And this is from Mark Sherman. So he's reporting from the left regarding the abortion case that's in front of the Supreme Court. All right. So the title is by Mark Sherman. Supreme Court set to take up all or nothing abortion fight. All right. Washington AP. Both sides are telling the Supreme Court there's no middle ground and Wednesday showdown over abortion. That's what I led with. Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 ruling that declared a nationwide right to abortion is facing its most serious challenge in 30 years in front of a court with a 6-3 conservative majority that has been remade by three appointees of President Donald Trump. Okay, President, former President Barack Obama once said elections have consequences. And by providence or happenstance or whatever, during President Donald Trump's turn, he was had the opportunity to appoint two Supreme Court justices. Two? Yes. All right. Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. All right. That To the winner go to spoils. All right. Going on, uh, Notre Dame law professor uh, says, there are no half measures here, said Sheriff Garris, a Notre Dame law professor who once served as a law clerk for Justice Samuel Alito. A ruling that overturned Roe in the 1992 case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey would lead to outright bans or severe restrictions on abortion in 26 states, according to the Guttmarker Institute, a research organization that supports abortion rights. All right. The case being argued Wednesday comes from Mississippi, where a 2018 law. All right. So the state passed this law. Okay. Of Mississippi would ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy well before viability, all right? The Supreme Court has never allowed states to ban abortion before the point at roughly 24 weeks when a fetus can survive outside the womb. Now, some interesting things that's, that's, that's in there, right? So the people of Mississippi elected their state legislature, right? And that legislature, representing the will of the people, Okay, in the state of Mississippi, passed a law in 2018, uh, all right, that banned abortions after 15 weeks. And that's being challenged, right? Whereas you could go to another state and it could be completely different. New York, California, South Carolina, Florida, okay? So no one is being told they can't have an abortion. It's just there's a time frame, all right, a restriction, all right, so coming from the left, AOL, again, reporting on the abortion case, Mark Sherman, he goes on to report, uh, 
the justices are separately weighing disputes over Texas much earlier abortion ban. All right, so we got the Texas thing at roughly six weeks. So Mississippi, you got 15. Texas, you got six, right? You've got states. We've got to keep in mind the 10th Amendment, okay? We've got to keep in mind the 10th Amendment as well, all right? So that's why you have these differences between states. Those cases, though those cases turn out, turn on the unique structure of the law and how it can be challenged in court, not the abortion rights. Still, abortion rights advocates were troubled by the court's 5-4 vote in September to allow the Texas law, which relies on citizens' lawsuits to enforce it to take effect in the first place. Now, that's kind of the echoes of what the Arkansas special session is going to be taking up as well that I previously mentioned, okay? Um, And I'm quoting from somebody uh, from an abortion clinic. Uh, Mr. Sherman writes, quote, This is the most worried I've ever been, said Shannon Brewer, who runs the only abortion clinic in Mississippi, the Jackson Women's Health Organization. The clinic offers up abortions up to 16 weeks of pregnancy and about 10% of abortions it performs take place after the 15 weeks, Brewer said. She also noted that since the Texas law took effect, the clinic has seen a substantial increase in patients operating five days or six days a week instead of two or three. Okay, so lower courts block the Mississippi law as they have other abortion bans that employ traditional enforcement methods by state and local officials. Okay, so um, that's coming from the left. So again, we want to see how is this being communicated across the spectrum. So that's coming from the left. Now let's get to some center news. Okay, so this is coming from uh, gotta wait for it to get open. Give me one second. All right, this is New York News 1, okay? Now, this is said it's coming from the center. I know it says New York, but I am trusting ground news in their reporting here, in their aggregation of the news, all right? Uh, Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 ruling that declared a nationwide right to abortion is facing its most serious challenge in 30 years in front of a court with a 6-3 conservative majority that has been remade by three appointees of President Donald Trump. Similar language that you found in the AOL article. Same. All right. (sighs) All right, so what New York One has essentially done is taken the AOL news filing and has reposted it here on their site. Okay, so let's find another news source. Let's go to Jacksonville, okay? And what is it they have to say? All right, so Jacksonville News, they just took Mark Sherman's article and reposted it. Does anybody do their own journalism nowadays? I'm just wondering, all right? So now let's go to the right, all right? All righty. All righty. So, whoops. Whoops, sorry. All right, so Fox News. All right, the future of abortion rights in the U.S. is now before the Supreme Court, where the 6-3 conservative majority may be poised to strike down or severely limit the impact of landmark Roe versus Wade decision legalizing the controversial uh, procedure. And obviously, they paint this in a favorable light. So you've got news from the left, you got news from the center, you got news from the right. So here's the things I started thinking about regarding this uh, Mississippi case in front of the Supreme Court. And what I wanted to think, what I was thinking about as a thought exercise is placing the quote unquote constitutional right of an abortion juxtaposing that with the the clearly written Second Amendment right, the right to bear arms, okay? Now, let me first say, put all my cards out on the table, okay? I fundamentally believe that at conception, that is a human being. Fundamentally believe 
that that is an individual human being with dignity and worth from conception. When the sperm meets the egg and that whole process happens, right? That is a human being. Okay. So you have a woman who has agency, all right? Who is a human being who has dignity and worth, right? And you have within her, all right? At conception, another human being. Okay. Now, in 1973, the Supreme Court determined that abortion was a constitutional right. I think that should be something that should be decided by the voters. We go through the constitutional process, Article 5, and see what happens, right? Nonetheless, the courts have decided right now that this is a constitutional right. But these are the things that got me thinking this week. Again, looking at this constitutional right of having an abortion. So hear me when I say this, of ending the life of a human being, okay? Juxtaposing that with the constitutional right to bear arms, firearms. In order for a person to own a weapon, said individual cannot just go out and purchase a weapon like they're purchasing a set of tools. That individual has to find the weapon that they want to apply for, be of a certain age, fill out an application, go through a background check, pay a particular fee, go through a particular waiting period, right? And then at the end of all of that, that individual if you will, can acquire that weapon. Now, that process differs state to state. So there is the acknowledgement, yes, individuals have the right to bear arms with the exception of those who are felons, those who for a mental reason cannot have a weapon. Okay? So somebody has already infringed upon the rights of an individual to have a firearm on the basis of a crime committed as well as uh, mental ability. Also, if you will, there is an infringement, okay, on a person's right to bear arms because they have to be of a certain age, they have to pay a fee on top of actually paying for the weapon, they have to go through a background check, application process, so on and so forth, right? And that differs by state. So now looking at the constitutional right for a woman to have an abortion, I have to ask myself, what is the problem with each state determining, if you will, their infringement process. If it is okay for states to infringe on the clearly written Second Amendment right to bear arms, and that infringement comes through federal infringement in terms of if you're a felon, you can't own a weapon, right? A health infringement because of mental deficiency, and then you got to go through a process in order to, to own weapons, and that process differs from state to state. Why is it a problem that states do the same thing in regards to abortion? We have to ask ourselves if citizens of Mississippi or citizens of Arkansas or citizens of Texas, right? They voted for their state legislatures, right? And those that particular party, if you will, or position prevailed and it passed through their house and it passed through their state house and it passed through their state senate and it was signed by their governor, right? And that represented the will of the people in that state. And it does not violate the constitutional 
right to carry out that particular activity, then what's the problem? That's one of the things I have to ask myself. If it's okay to have different processes regarding owning a firearm, should it equally be okay to have different processes, times, restrictions, infringements regarding abortions? That's something that one of the things I've asked myself. And if you've got thoughts on that, comments on that, hey, let me know. You can comment, send me an email. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Again, we can look at other things that differ state by state. We have a whole lot of infringements on what we can do in America. America is not as free as you as we would want to think it is. I know we say America is the land of the free and the home of the brave, but it should be America is the land of the free with a whole bunch of infringements in order to exercise that said and said right. So um, from what I understand, uh, the Supreme Court will have a decision in June, right? This seems like the cycle. Some major situ- decision, you know, comes out at that period. I- I'm believing that's going to be their recess. You know, it's right before the summer, right? And also, it's during an election year. So I'll be looking for that as well. Probably coming on the front end or the back end of some race issue as well. All right, because that's typically the rhythm of what happens in our country. But nonetheless, the question I have for myself is this. And again, reach out to me. Email me, humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. All right. If it's okay for there to be different infringements state by state regarding the Second Amendment and a, a, a constitutional right that is clearly written in the Bill of Rights. Cannot states also have different infringe upon the right to have an abortion since it's air quotes a constitutional right. Is that not okay for them as well? I think the end game, the end game for those on one side is that there would be no infringement. That's my fear. And on the other side, the end game is that they would just end it completely, but they would have no solution as to addressing those individuals, supporting those individuals who do not want to carry a child. Hmm. We got to figure this out. Got to figure it out. We do. Got to figure it out. Y'all that are like pro-life, life, life, you got to figure it out. Y'all pro-choice, choice, choice, you got to figure it out. You do. I would say to my pro-choicers, what needs to be taken into consideration, my challenge to pro-choicers, I believe the burden of proof is on you to demonstrate that that is not a human being. That's 1A. And then 1B, at what point do you determine that individual is a human being? At what point? At what point do you determine that? Because that opens up a host of issues. But then I say to my pro-lifers, y'all got to come up with something better than just saying um, we got to defend the rights of the unborn. Okay, awesome. But what about when they're born? How are we treating them? How are you talking about them? Yes. Nobody's hands is clean in this at all. Nobody's hands is clean in this. So that's talking about abortion. That's above. That's in front of uh, the Supreme Court right now. 
Hey, again, this is Humanity Matters. I am your host, Philip Fletcher. If you got a question or comment, you can always email me at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. Also, visit the website. Scroll down a little. Subscribe to the newsletter called Personalist Living and Leading. You'll get a weekly email, typically on Sundays, Saturday nights, get you set up for the upcoming week. Good thought, some questions for you to journal, discuss around the table at the office. Hey, you may even Facebook about it. That's cool. But seeking to help you flourish as a human being. All right, we got some uh, comments coming up from Paul. Let's figure it out. I'll do a live brainstorming show with you. All righty. Assuming you're talking about the abortion discussion. Yeah. Jewel Adora. Thank you, Jewel. Agreed. All righty. So moving on. So I just finished reading Brave New World by uh, Aldous Huxley. And uh, Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World. And then in 1958, he kind of did a reflection follow-up on uh, where looking at the world where it was in relationship to when he first wrote Brave New World. Now, if you're not familiar with Brave New World, is looking at a place called New London, all right? There are no mothers, there are no fathers. Human beings in New London are cloned, right? And then they are, uh, while they are, growing in their embryonic stage they are manipulated and so you've got alphas and betas and gammas and epsilons and then because of that ranking you when you are born and then when you are conditioned you are just in a particular life right you can't move up you can't move down that's what's expected of you all right uh moving on uh in new london okay this this there is no god it's what's referred to as the ford okay um there are individuals who manage all of new london all right um there are people who again who have particular occupations uh as well in order to deal with and mitigate any type of unhappiness or uh suffering okay um, they are given what is called a soma, basically a drug, a pharmaceutical that gives, gives them an elation, a, a happiness. Okay. Anytime they are faced with any type of uncertainty or something that makes them feel uncomfortable. And so they're popping these somas all the time, distracting them, having them to avoid to deal with difficult things. Death. There's no old people. <laughs> people live to a particular age, right? And then they are discarded. They are burned. And how it's described in this whole process in A Brave New World is that they are returned back into the atmosphere. It's pretty sad, right? It's a whole um, re- refutation, all right, of the existence of the soul, that we are just a simply material, Okay. Um, and so Aldous Huxley writes that that's in new London outside of new London. There's this whole place called the savage lands. All right. And that's where like everybody else is. All right. And so that's regular life. People get married. There's monogamy. Uh, people are born naturally. People are trying to make it. And new Londoners look at this one savage. His name is John, who was brought back to new London. They look at him as an oddity. Right. He's like the new thing. He's like the toy. All right. And uh, Bernard, who basically kind of accompanies uh, John throughout New London, eventually. uh, um, John becomes so overwhelmed with everything that he commits suicide. Pretty sad. So. In his 1958 essay, Aldous Huxley proceeds to reflect on where the world is at and particularly the West and really reflecting on what came out of World War II regarding uh, Hitler and tyrants and demagogues. And one of the questions that Aldous Huxley raises is this. 
and I quote, in an age of accelerating overpopulation, of accelerating overorganization and ever more efficient means of mass communication, okay, how can we preserve the integrity and reassert the value of the human individual? When I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, he is talking about the dignity and worth of the human being, right? Overpopulation threatens the dignity and worth of the human being, right? And so the demagogue seeks to be like, yeah, we need to do something about this overpopulation. Let's control it, right? The tyrant or the demagogue, right, seeks to over-organize, seeks to control, create an apparatus, a bureaucracy, but in doing so, it denigrates, it devalues the dignity of the human being. And then, as well, by using mass communication, a more efficient means of mass communication, that can serve as well to devalue the human being. So he he asked this question in the context of considering propaganda, all right? Propaganda used by a leading minority or what would be a demagogue, all right? A, A ruling few, all right? And how such can influence the masses of people, all right? So what is important to our discussion is his concern, what he terms the over, all right? Which threatens to eradicate the integrity and the value of humans, specifically our dignity as human beings. So I wanted to look at over-organization or what I'm calling hyper-organization. So organization is a human phenomenon, all right? Human beings are not meant to do things alone, all right? Human beings are social beings, and so we will come together to accomplish a particular thing or sets of things, all right? So an organization or a group, if you will, can exist for a variety of reasons. So an organization could exist due to a unifying vision or beliefs. An organization can exist because of some circumstance that happens. So imagine some type of earthquake or tornado that rips through a city or a town and then people come together for Uh, to help and assist people. And then organizations, groups can come together for a time-limited period to accomplish something. And then once it's done, they just dissipate. All right? So people do, individuals do come together to accomplish particular things, specific things. So an organization should, in theory, hear me when I say this, in theory, it should create an opportunity for an individual to achieve a specific goal, all right? Unique to him or her while simultaneously assisting the group to achieve its particular goals. But here's the other thing. An organization or group should be voluntary in its associations regarding its members. A member's agency, ultimately, human agency, all right? Individual human agency, within the context of a group, all right, that is voluntarily come together, that human agency is to be respected. And if for any reason the member chooses to exit from that affiliation, he or she should be free to exit, free of any alienation, shame, or threat of force. Okay? Now, I agree with Huxley, he goes on when he states this, and I'm reading, and I quote, organization is indispensable for liberty arises and has meaning only within a self-regulation community, regulated community of freely operating individuals, close quote. See, in Brave New World and specifically New London, (laughs) there was no freedom. You were at where you were at. The circumstances of your birth was manipulated and controlled your nurturing was conditioned, and then you were an alpha. You were a beta. You were a gamma. You were an epsilon, and you couldn't be anything else. You could not leave that class. 
So positive outcomes of organizations, you know, you got institutions that come together, mutual aid type organizations to help people to address a particular social concern or need. Got it. You need to look at religious institutions. Those are organized as well around common beliefs and a vision of the current world and what would be the, the future world. All right. And that membership is fluid. You have people moving in and out of religious organizations, moving from one particular religious belief to another, and that's freely done. And they're also informally existing organizations where just neighbors can come together and be like, hey, let's take a meal to somebody. Um, they just had a baby or they had a sickness at the house or we know we're going to take care of their yard. Right. And that's going to be informal. Right. There was no paperwork that was drawn up. It was just like a a verbal like agreement between a f- couple of individuals. OK. Now. The negative side. And this is what's really highlighted in. Uh, a Brave New World and specifically New London. So over-organization, or what I want to call hyper-organization, occurs when the human agency and the free association and participation is basically subjected to the need of the existence and sustainability of the organization or group. What is more important is not the sustainability and the agency of the individual. What becomes paramount and important is the longevity and existence of the organization the group, or if you will, the state. So the dignity of the human being has been subjugated to the need of the mass, the organization. And the greater the organization grows, if you will, the affirmation and value and dignity of the individual human being lessens. All right? So we can observe historically we can see it across cultures. This ain't just about white people. It's happening in European cultures, African cultures, Asian cultures, Near Eastern cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, every culture. All right? So let's not get into the whole colonial, this is unique to white Europeans because it's not. All right? In order to maintain its existence, sometimes it's done through alienation, shame, or threats of violence. All right, so this is where we as individuals need to tread lightly and practice discernment regarding our affiliation with any particular group. Hyper-organization accompanied with mass communication which seeks to other people, okay? And make those individuals who are of the out group, right? That can lead towards dehumanization of those affiliated members within the in group as well as those non-affiliated persons. Here's the thing. Growing organizations that diminish the human agency diminish not only those individuals who belong to that group, but also those who don't belong to that group. So in the past, we've seen this in Nazi Germany. We've seen it in the Cultural Revolution in China, the Rwandan genocide between the Hutus and Tutsis. And yes, I would make the argument, this whole thing between the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Now, you may reject my example because, dang, Phil, it's like apples to oranges, right? Like looking at what happened in Nazi Germany, you're looking at what happened in the Rwandan genocide, Got it. Those are completely different things, different time periods, different nations, different cultures, right? But in principle, what you had was growing organizations. And as those organizations grew, those who belonged to that organization or group, they were dehumanized. Their agency and ultimately their human dignity was ignored to the point that people lost their lives. So that same principle applies even in the case of what is going on with the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Now, those individuals are not losing their lives, but they are losing their livelihood. They are being shamed. They are seeking to be coerced into something. 
For what purpose? So that the organization or the group that that few elite is overseeing, it can sustain. The group or the organization is prioritized while the individual, his or her human dignity and the integrity of who they are as individuals, it continually is diminished. All right, so returning to Huxley's concern to protect the integrity and value of human dignity, how can we courageously respond to over-organization, as he terms it, or as I call it, hyper-organization? We have to thoroughly interrogate all our group affiliations. We do. Second, we have to resist any form of organization which prioritizes group sustainability over individual autonomy, especially any sustainability which is enforced through shame, alienation, threats of violence. And we have to create affiliations, all right, counter affiliations, counter groups, which maintain and protect human autonomy. And these affiliations are willing to affirm the autonomy of outside groups not threatening force in any fashion. So that's just a thought on uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World Revisited. He wrote that in 1958. I'm going to come back again and talk about this again. We're going to look at um, the negative effects of mass communication, you know, social media. Anyways, so I hope y'all have learned something. I hope I've added value to... Uh, what has been talked about on tonight. Thank you for uh, joining me. So again, connect with me on Twitter, YouTube, over on Facebook, Dr. Philip Fletcher. You can find my YouTube channel. Just put in Dr. Philip Fletcher. And hey, go over to the website, philipfletcher.org and subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Letter, excuse me. Daily Personalist Living. So, As always, remember to be love, to be kind, and to be generous. And if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. Take care. God bless.